Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's Episode 12 of the Total Bees She's Show. We're back again, Mike, and you are in studio again. You're out from hiding. Uh, you're not hiding from Adam Knight anymore. No, no, You're, you're not no. cowering in some room with a... Uh, undisclosed location undisclosed, with plenty of protection. Yes, exactly. And a squeaky chair. By the way, Chris, if you would not mind, <laughs> in the future... Here we go. In the future, when you're hearing in your earphones that I'm squeaking on my end in a chair, just say, hey... Get out of that chair, you fat ass. I think, well, you were in the chair. Yeah, like, just tell me, I, get on I, your feet. I thought you were aware. You were in the chair. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea until I was listening to it back. And actually, good friend of the show, Steve, yep. the, the Axe, he said that show was awesome, but man, that squeaky chair. And he was able to guess what location I was in. Which it was not a Where's Waldo. I didn't. No, we weren't playing a guessing no. game. It's not like Adam Knight was hunting me down and and Steve was trying to tell him where to find. That me. would be fun though. Not the Adam Knight hunting you down part. We're not going to talk a lot about Adam Knight today. No, are we? Where, where's Mike Davidson though? Yeah. Well, yeah. I was where people would expect me to be at work. Yeah, I said I actually dropped a hint early in the show when I said the Blue Bombers were playing two games last week. So it was great. the The show got rave reviews. My critique of Adam Knight has continued for two episodes. We're not going to do that this week. Uh, we had a great talk about WFX. We answered some great fan questions. And I got some feedback on the show. I wanted to tell you about this. Okay. A good friend of mine, Brian Wortley, who mentored me during WFX, he, he taught me how to market. He, he helped me understand where to spend the advertising money. Right. And he was so helpful. He sent me a great message on Facebook and he said, you know, I've been listening, I've listened to your podcast and he said, the content is great. He said, but nobody knows what total B she's is, even though I explained it in episode one. You did. And total B she's, of course, lazy carn is a language and, and you can understand that bees is the first syllable and that would be bull and she's would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say the word, but what is podcasting? Yeah, yeah. It's people getting together and bees she'sing around. Right. But he said, you know, maybe go with a more broader title for wrestling and call it like turnbuckle chat or something like that. The problem is there's a tens of thousands of wrestling podcasts and they talk about the same things. They talk about WWE and what they saw on TV. They talked about all elite and all they saw on all elite. And they try to say, they try to come across as experts based on what they saw on TV. There's thousands of podcasts like that. I don't want to be that podcast. I want to give you my insight from being a wrestler, being a promoter, being a booker, being all of those things, a TV producer and give advice to the guys that are trying to do the same thing now. And that's all that this is. And I'll tell funny stories and I got a funny story here today or two. So I have thought about renaming the podcast. I'm not going to rename the podcast right now because the total B she show is our show and the listenership has stayed steady. Oh, well, and I checked the numbers, Mike. It's, it, you know, we, we're still like in striking distance of top 50 in Canada. Yeah. Like that's huge. Yeah. Like and, I, and, I know you've got ridiculously high standards. I know you do. Yeah. And you want to be right in that top 10. But the fact that we're w within the top 50 well, is and, in insane. And the reality is the people who listen to our podcast are 
What are they? They are the lapsed fan. Right. They're the disengaged fan. I don't want the engaged fan because there's too much competition Whoa, for the engaged we, fan. We want them yes, too. Yes, of course I do. But, but the, it's the lapsed fan that I'm talking to yes. because that's where I'm coming from. It's a, it's a completely different mindset for what we're going after. But I loved that Brian took the time. He's a busy man. Yes. And I appreciated he took the time to give me his advice. And I understood where he was coming from. But we're not going there yet. Uh, yeah. I, I, I might bet the name... Bees, she's. I might say if we if this happens, I will change the name, and bet against myself. But I'm not going to do that yet. No, we're we're going to get over on our content and not our flashy. We name. are over on our content. I know we are, but we're not. It's not going to be because we've got a new title with lasers and blah 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 and Orange Cassidy level garbage. Yeah, you know. Okay, we're, I want to talk about Orange Cassidy. Let's oh, put him over again. Okay, you're I, I, so wrong when I, you tell me about talent, and I love you. I think he's good. Oh, yeah, that match with, yeah, you know where I'm going. Yeah. So I got to see your two favorites on Wednesday night. I got to see Orange Cassidy, and then I got to see Danhausen. I I brought up Danhausen once, and Mike just, just, he just turns the dirt into Will you admit you were wrong? Wardlow is the best, one of the best guys on the roster. I didn't say anything bad about Wardlow. And how good does that belt look when he wears it? Like, belts don't normally look good when guys wear it around their waist, but that belt on Wardlow looked like a million bucks. And because Orange Cassidy tried to do his signature stuff, his she's. Yeah, his she's. And it was garbage. Orange Cassidy... What he should have been doing is bumping and selling to a brutal yep. beating. 100%. From Wardlow. It, it did nothing for either guy. I've I've seen, that's the only match I've seen on the show, so you can't bring up anything else. But Yeah, I, I, I don't talk mainstream, don't I, forget. I saw that. I just wanted to rub your nose I in. saw that one, and you're 100% right. I didn't care for that match at all. It was a bad uh, they, match. They could have done more. I mean, I know you dislike both those guys, but they- I eat, love Wardlow. They, yeah, I mean, Danhausen and, and Orange Cassidy, they could have easily booked that match to make sense to be- be good to be fun yeah and it but it was just a hodgepodge i like i just it felt like it was a match that was thrown together as they're going out the curtain so what it was was a match that was supposed to go to orange cassidy's strengths and it went away from wardlow's strengths in the process well, yeah and it was garbage and they need to play to wardlow's strengths yeah, right now they, don't put that whoever booked that match is booker of the year according to dave Meltzer. oh but he's not booker of the year and i get it, any they, booker would know there's nothing there there's, they, you're they not going to get a good segment well they want to keep orange cassidy i mean as as weird as it sounds they kind of want to keep him strong because he's been getting wins right isn't he a baby face he is a baby so face. why are you f- putting him in the match with the best baby face on the card bingo that's exactly where i was going yeah exactly terrible. anyway moving on all right, moving on. Uh, let's talk about Vince. Because I want to talk mainstream. <laughs> we, we do want to talk about Vince, but uh, mentioning your squeaky chair, I know you wanted to do a shout out. Oh, yeah. Don't So I somebody said they were going to start calling me squeaky. And you can't call me squeaky. And I'll tell you why you can't call me squeaky. Because there is a world-renowned wrestling fan in Winnipeg, and her name was Squeaky. Yes. And it was because her voice. And she was, ah, she, I, I can't imitate it. But she would screech her voice. And so she called her squeaky. Her name was Shirley. Yeah. I could, I'll drop her last name because she'd be flattered. Shirley Bowman. One of the best fans I've ever seen locally. Absolutely. And so she is squeaky. So no matter how bad I squeak a chair, I'll just be Squeaks McGee over here, but I will never be squeaky because it'll be, it'll cause brand confusion with trademark squeaky. She was so into it. She, she uh, was. She, we we got to stop yeah. talking past tense because I think she still comes to the odd show. She was into it though. She used to, she had crushes is, at the is, time. Is, she had, this, she was because it was, I'm talking about the past tense. I'm not yeah, talking. Yeah, careful. People are going to think she but, passed. But she used to shake her crutches at me and yell at yeah. me and it was so shrill. Yeah. yeah. Shrill, she had the voice of a shrill whistle, Don Callis once said. So I got a funny story about okay. squeaky. So she 
used to call the venue to try to line up her tickets to go to AWE shows back at the University of Manitoba Investors Group Athletic Center. And the venue manager said, well, you know, I don't have the detail in front of me, but I'll give you the promoter's name and phone number. It's Mike Davidson. Here's the phone number is dot, dot, dot. And so she called me. And the problem is once she had that number, she didn't just call once. Yeah. And she, like every time she got me, oh, surely I can't talk right now. I got to go. And I, sometimes I was going and sometimes I just didn't want to talk. So finally I, I said, you know, Shirley, thank God you called. I've been so worried about Danny Duggan. And she's like, why are you worried about Danny Duggan? I said, you know, he's making bad life choices. I don't know. Like, he's so young, so impressionable. He's really made a mistake with his life. And I'm worried. I'm worried he's depressed. And she's like, how do I reach him? And I said, you call this, you call, I don't have his number, but you know who will? Jeez, Weez will. And I gave her Jeez Weez's work phone number. His work number. Yeah. So he's sitting at his desk and all of a sudden Shirley starts calling. Hey, I want Danny Duggan's number. So he's poor, that's kind of a jerk move of mine, but it was funny. And she called him and geez, Weeze was losing his cool. Did he pass off the number? If he was smart, he would have, but geez, Weeze doesn't like to rib. So he, he would have said, you know what? I don't have his number, but Sean Brown has his number and keep giving the, keep it going. Yeah. Right. Have her call everybody until she gets through to Danny eventually. Keep, keep it going around the horn. Yeah. Now let's talk about Vince. All right. Let's talk about Vince. Cause I'm not squeaky. You're not squeaky. And I'm not an expert on Vince McMahon. But it's gotten worse, not better. In the era of Me Too, how this guy thinks he's going to walk through the raindrops here, $12 million it's come out, has been paid to four different women? Yeah, he spent more money on sex. Is it four different women? It's more than four, I think, at this point. I think it's like six. Okay. But he spent more money on sex than he did on WCW. Yeah. Well, inflation, WCW would have got about $12 million. Yeah. So are you saying that Bischoff was more of a bitch for Vince than... uh... (laughs) I'm not saying it, but I'm saying it. (laughs) Okay, so here's my thought. How did he decide, okay, this woman's worth three, this one's worth one, this one's worth two... That kind or of was thi- it three across the board and it's only four women? That kind of thinking it gets you in trouble, Mike Davis. My, me in trouble? <laughs> no, but you're, oh. you're going down a bad okay, road. Well, I'm going to keep going down that path. Okay, so what did he do to, with these women that he had to pay them? Is it just that he decided he was going to terminate them and they were like, that's wrongful termination, I want my money? No, no, he like... Was it consensual relationships? Was there any exploitation? Uh, I believe... Because I don't ex- read. I believe there's exploitation involved. So he, on his side, he thinks they're consensual relationships. On their side, he was a man in power, yes. wielding his power. <laughs> so th- that's that's what though that's both sides. Vince McMahon is a smart man, and he's he is a smart man. He's so gre- the worst part is is when you get to the top of the mountain, you need to not sleep with women under your employee. Because you, I'll tell you, when you're a celebrity of that stature. You don't need to sleep with employees. You can you can use that. Let me let me Whoa. phrase this carefully. <laughs> yes. The last thing I want is people saying, "Look at Greasebag Davidson." So, but the here's the reality: there are women that love celebrities. Oh, let me not drop names here. Like I know that they, but when you, even when you're older and you're a celebrity, you start interacting with fe- All he had to do is open up a Tinder and women. Oh, that's Vince. They would have, yeah, and he could have had his pick of the women who wanted to sleep with Vince. Yes, absolutely. And that wouldn't have cost him a damn thing. And he wouldn't have had to, you know, wouldn't have had to pay hush money. Either. Yeah. You don't have to pay hush money. Exactly. For people it's that- just girlfriends. And, and the other thing is Vince is <laughs> advice for Vince. You, 
what were you doing that, like two years ago when you heard about Bill O'Reilly and, and uh, the guy from Good Morning America, Matt, Matt, Lauer, Matt Lauer, weren't you sitting there going, oh shoot, this could start to come back at me. Yeah. Maybe I should retire. Well, maybe retire on my own terms yeah. or like go back to all the women and make sure that they're, they're on board with keeping it on the down low. But you know what the problem with Vince is? It's a power trip. Trust me. There are guys that when they have power, they like to use that power to, to assert their dominance. Oh yeah. And that sounds like th- this might've been the thing, right? Well, that's what I was getting at. That's the case. What, you know, on his side of it, he's such an egomaniac. He, he thinks though, that it was a consensual relationship. And it was. Uh, in, on his side of it, on their side of it, their billionaire boss yeah. is propositioning them for sexual favors and pro- probably promising, I can't say, but yeah. probably promising the so, moon. So WFX was a very small scale by comparison to WWE, but I was on salary to WFX and we had girls that worked around the shows and like promotional staff and, and merchandise girls that were all hired that had a certain look. We had a girl who recruited girls to, and they, right. So I had to always be very careful. I remember very early in WFX that a girl who was on the promotional team expressed an interest in, in hanging out with me. And we traded messages on Facebook and I had to say to her, like, listen, I need you to understand if you work for the company, we can't go any further with this conversation. Right. And she said, okay, why is that? And I said, because the optics are terrible. And this is 2010. Yes. When it was not what it is today. But I just knew that it could open me up to some negative blowback. And I had a rule that I didn't want wrestlers conjugating with the female talent for that reason, because there could be perception of power imbalance. So I told her, like, listen, if you want to, you know, spend time with me, go on a date with me, all you have to do is say you're not going to work shows for the period of time. Now, I don't know now if that wasn't wrong because it could be seen that I forced her to leave the job in order to pursue something with me. Right. But for my comfort, we needed to have that layer of separation because I didn't want to open myself up. And then later on, certain certain former guests of the show went on the internet and said that I exploited women and, it was, and there was a scandal. Oh. But it wasn't. There, there was no scandal. I asked her to leave the team in order to pursue, and we dated for eight months. But it was never like, how Vince couldn't think like this? Like, hey, you work for me. You can't. You can't sleep with me. I mean, that's a totally, a completely different situation too. I mean, you did, everything was above board the, the way you did it. Well, she had an option. You are not a billionaire, Mike. Davidson. No, and I, I know. I, I was a not even a hundred thousand heir at that point. Exactly. So it's not like she was like, oh, this is like a. Big... She was yeah, and she wasn't dating me because of money. No, she, she there was a natural attraction. Exactly, and that's a totally different yeah. different avenue. I think these these what? women were. Can, can you do me a favor? Yes. I want pictures of the women he paid out. Oh. Can we get that? We'll look into it. Yeah. Is it somewhere on the internet? Because if it is, I'm going to post it on social media. I want to see what, what Vince was willing to risk it all for. Because sometimes I see those when you hear of like some of the, some of the women that major billion or millionaires and billionaires really risk it all for. And you're like, what were you thinking? Yeah. So I want to see the pictures. That's what I want to see. I have something else I wanted to shout out to a friend of the show. Oh, did I mention 3D Pro Wrestling? You haven't mentioned oh, it Oh, I'm yet. a liar. I'm a piece of crap. Last week, I made it clear that I thought they were cutting shortcut, shortcuts and running a free venue. And one of their talent who's reliable contacted me and said, hey, podcast is great. But just so you know, 3D Pro is definitely paying to rent that venue. So it's at the Osborne Legion on it's South Osborne. They got a show in August, mid-August. 
and they do pay for the venue, so it's not a shortcut. My apologies to the promoter. I hope he's not mad at me. I hope he's not Adam Knighting there and just stewing about this. He's coming in here at any moment. Yeah, you gave him the address, didn't yeah, you? I did. Big, uh, big, all right, so big that's, what I wanted, that's what I wanted to say about 3D Pro Wrestling. And our good friend of the show, a girl who helps us out with YouTube, uh, her name's Lori Moon, and she's yes. the female referee in Winnipeg. And she asked me to push some dates she's got coming up. Dates on wrestling shows. Yes. She's got two <laughs> wrestling shows coming up for Shadow Extreme, July 21st, which I think is just a week away. It's at Pine Creek. And Dauphin, July 24th, which I'm going to talk about Dauphin in a second after I finish mentioning. So those two dates, that's July 24th, July 21st. Dauphin is the 24th. Pine Creek is the 21st. And July 22nd in Winnipeg, she's wrestling for Primos. Oh, I don't mention I don't mention Primos, but... They did something no one's done in a long time. They were man- They managed to secure a Winnipeg community club that allowed them to run a date there. And I wonder how they did that with insurance issues. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I don't really talk about. Like they don't send me their stuff, so I don't. I don't follow. Hey, it Primo, time. send us your stuff. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah, you. Mark Merrick, send us your stuff. I'd love. I'd love to mention you, but I, I know Mentalo's on the show. Yep. I saw the poster. It looked all right. I am going to rip on promoters for a second because it's something I do very well. If you're a wrestling promoter and you're charging wrestling fans for ticket money, don't you owe it to the fans you ask to give you 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars to have a roster of all qualified wrestlers? Yes. Yes. I'm not going to say which promoter I'm ripping on. Let them look at their own poster and go, oh yeah, he might be talking about this guy. I want them to wonder. There, I see posters and I see guys and, and I'm like, this guy knows he's not very good. He's told people he's not very good. Then why are you on shows where they're charging money? What are you, what in your head says, I'm not very good at this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I expect fans to pay hard-earned money. Now, let's talk about $20 in Winnipeg. Well, hold on a second. Because that's where I'm thinking about. Hold on a second. Are we talking about a newbie? Or are we talking about a guy who's been Been around? Okay, so he's been around for I'm a while. talking about someone specific. Okay, I, I know, but we're not dropping names. No. But he's been around, so he's wrestled... Seven. Not 27 years. It's not but Adam no, Knight. I'm not going there, but he's wrestled a lot before. <laughs> yeah. He's okay. been around for there's a, 10, there, 15 years. There's a distinction maybe. because newbies do need to get people who are not very sure, good. Sure, but new. they should have potential. Exactly. And they should be well-trained. Ex- I just wanted to clarify. Here's my argument. In this era where $20 is more than a professional baseball ticket, it's more than a movie like Top Gun, it's more than what, it's about what professional soccer charges in Winnipeg. Right. And you can get two tickets to a Winnipeg, Foot, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber game for $35 if you do the prom- promo at co-op. Absolutely. So that's seventeen fifty a ticket. I've argued the promoters need to be aware of what they're up against. This guy is not, he would. He used to tell me he's not very good. Then why are you on shows where the promoters are charging $20? So imagine you go to a restaurant. I want to compare wrestling to restaurant. Imagine the guy who puts the menu together goes, you know, if anyone orders this, they're going to think it's crap. Yeah, this is not, this yeah, is not a this very good dish. This is not good. This is going to taste awful. But hey, if someone's dumb enough to order it, we're going to charge them eleven ninety nine for it. That's a ridiculous mindset. So think of wrestling shows as ingredients. If you have a wrestling show and you know somebody is crap, if you're the promoter and you put the wrestler on there and you know he's crap, that's like putting something on your menu that you know tastes like crap. Right. You, you're, you should not have a restaurant if you do this. And what happens if you're the promoter? I've heard from everybody that does business. Well, he's a nice guy. But he's not very good. Okay, so you're the, I want you to know if you think I'm talking about you, that you're the, you're the item on the menu that the owner of the restaurant knows is crap. Why do you, why? 
And at that point, take a step back now, and focus on promoting. Now I'm going to pat myself on the back. In 2001 and two, I knew I was not a good wrestler. I'd been in the PWI 500. I was a big deal. <laughs> I could draw. I could connect with the fans. You drop that PWI 500. Uh, any chance I get. Yeah, every time. But when I became the booker for Bobby J in 2001, the first argument him and I were having was, I'm not going to wrestle and book. I can't do both well. I can't wrestle well at the best of times, but I can't focus on booking if I'm wrestling. And I said, you should not want me to wrestle and book. You should want me to focus on getting your houses up by booking good shows. So I took myself out of the lineup as fast as possible, even though I'd, push, I'd been pushed as a pretty good babyface right before this. I wasn't a good wrestler. And people at that time weren't paying $20. They were paying $5 weekly. But I didn't think the paying audience should be should see me but we had bad wrestlers on i used to put carver gleason on a show and that was the yeah the ingredient on the menu that was like oh that doesn't taste good and i love carver i put him over for tag team championship but in this day and age you want 20 dollars. could you imagine the winnipeg blue Bombers saying well this guy's not a professional athlete but we're going to put him on the offensive line yeah we we, we signed our towel boy yeah yeah he he's a friend of the team yeah. so we want to make sure he's a nice guy so we thought we'd let him play no no, it's professional wrestling. It's supposed to be a sport. It's supposed to be prof- people who are buying the ticket think they're buying a ticket to a professional event. So treat it as such. Absolutely. That's my rant. Okay, before we move on, you brought up your wrestling time. Oh, gives me please a, don't grill it, me. I'm not going to grill you too bad this week. But when you stepped out of the ring after that with Bo- that period with yep. Bobby J, did you ever step back in? Yeah, I did a slight. I So PCW started and, and John Newen and I had a, very mutual understanding. He was not hiring me to wrestle and he did not like the idea of me wrestling. See, John was, he ribbed me a little bit. Like he, uh, he wasn't a constant verbal yeah. bleeds, let's say. So, uh, he never wanted me to wrestle, but when Andrew was running PCW in 03 or 04, I think it was 04. I did a brief run where I used to come in. I used to come out to Mariah Carey's hero, like okay. a very slow ballad and I'd wear pants. I'd take it off and wrestle as a baby face. And the fans knew the fans had a connection to me from when I ran PCW. So there was fans that, you know, would, I just ha- missed you. You would I chant can- and heckled. I, I ended that run. It might've been 03. I know it was 04. It was definitely 04, but it, I ended that run because Jeff Dick and I decided we were going to run AWE, Action Wrestling Entertainment. That, that makes perfect sense. And so I was going to be leaving to go focus on it. It wasn't a serious run. It was a couple matches. Uh, and then I had a terrible match, and I felt bad for Chris Rain and Sean Houston. They called me and they said, hey, do you want to come out to BSW and wrestle a match? It's called Body Slam. Right, Body Slam. B, it might be BSE or BSW. And uh, I loved Houston. I loved Chris Rain. Chris Rain and I had some funny run-ins over time. And uh, they said, you know what? Just come out and have fun. And I said, I'm a terrible wrestler. They said, no, man, just come out. And they wanted me to come out and help out. And and I couldn't say no to those guys. I loved, I, And John Cutler was part of that group. And I loved them all. So I went out and I had a terrible match. I never wanted to get back in the ring again. I could take an arm drag real good, though. I could hit a drop kick real good, cross body off the top. But I couldn't put it together. Like, I'm not, yeah. to be very honest, I'm not the most coordinated fellow, as right. Sean Brown would tell you as he tried to train me in the gym. I used to say, don't coach me on form. Well, what am I doing then? And so uh, I was not a good wrestler. And I knew this. So I wanted to focus on the things I was good at, producing talent, developing storylines, promoting shows. I did not want to wrestle. Yeah, I, that's, I, I had the same critique when I was training with, with Rob Stardom. He used to say, you've got concrete in your feet. Yeah. because And that's just the way I was. So yeah. I, I, it was so, I, didn't, I was not a dancer. I was not light yeah, on my I'm toes. not a dancer either. Yeah. So that, that would be why I... And, and to be honest... There is a value to people who don't wrestle, who have talent at supporting cast. Like uh, the guys that are there and dependable and can like 
take care of business. Like, oh, go run and get this. Like, it's it's not bad to be a runner on a wrestling show. It's no. not bad to be a runner at a CFL game, Any, right? I, anything. Like, the, yeah. the shows do not go off without supporting staff. Yeah. They're, they're an integral... I, hear people talk crap or I used to hear people talk pa- crap about the ring crew. No. And I was just most like, no. important part of the show. Exactly. If that ring doesn't get set up, there's no show. 100%. Like it, all the staff, it all has to come together. I'm going to talk about that right now as a prelude to WFX, which we're coming back with after the break. I'm going to tell you a funny story. WFX was setting up their rings at like three in the afternoon on the Friday. Guess who would go out there and help set it up? Billy Gunn. Kevin Thorne. Kevin Billy Thorne. Gunn would go out there and keep an eye on it too, but Kevin Thorne would go and personally get involved with setting up the ring. And he said, I did it at OVW. And, and I was like, why? You don't have to do that. And he's like, because if I do it, I know it's safe. And I was like, and he's like, I, I'm not above doing that. And all the guys used to go out there and kind of keep an eye on it to make sure, okay, the ring, you know, that's a good ring. But Kevin Thorne would go there and he'd lift the boards, put the boards in place, tie down the canvas. He would do it all because, and he'd make sure the ropes were tightened properly and he'd just be a part of it because he wanted to make sure when he got into it to perform that night, it was safe. And he had been to WWE by that point. And I I can remember a show, I can't remember the exact details, so it's going to be vague, but I can remember a show where a name went out and was helping tear down the ring and the promoter was given one of the guys just a you know, just a regular indie guy giving the guy the gears because yeah. he's like, look, there's so-and-so out there. He's been on TV. He's yeah. been on. That would have been a Danny Duggan show. Yeah. I yeah. think you're right. Cause he's, it's a full team effort to get that down. Yeah. Cause they're usually going to the next town. Right. Yeah. And he's like, he's been on TV. He's been on this and that. And he's out there tearing down the ring. And why aren't you Joe blow out there tearing down the ring? Yeah. That's a good lesson for guys to learn that yep. the, the guys at the top, often on the way down, I've seen Billy Gunn haul out a ring many a times yep. and it's just part of the, it's part of the gig. Okay. It's, so before we go to the break, yep. let's quickly dovetail and put a, put an ellipsis on Mike Davidson's wrestling career. <laughs> Are we ever going to see Mike Davidson come out for a rumble? Oh, hell no. Because that, that, no. that, and that's where it's got to happen. And I'll tell you why. Any promoter that got me to agree to that would be smart enough to put me in when there's 12 guys in there. And there's 12 guys who owe me a receipt for something. Yes. So I would be asking for, it wouldn't be unprofessional, but there'd be 12 guys to screw around with me. It's a built-in storyline though. They send, no. they send you out and then they send me out. Yeah, no. There's a built-in storyline. See, no right one there. has a receipt to give you. No, no. But like, imagine Adam Knight gets his, everyone gets to take a liberty, right? That's what And even ha- guys who are just screwing around would screw around. So no, I, I would not do a rumble. And as for any kind of match, like, oh, I'm losing weight right now for a reason. And like in the summer I walk, I'm at the pool all the time. I'm tanned up. It wouldn't be hard for me to get into Sean's gym, Sean Brown's gym. Get sorry, in and, ring shape. And tr- not ring shape, but get into presentable shape right and then to do it but uh, like i said uh, when i was beacon at adam knight there's never going to be a match because i there's nothing in it for me to do it not to mention i'm 43 years old and a lot of what i do is on my feet with work with the bombers and stuff like that and spirit halloween if i hurt myself like there's no value in that so no there's no no plan to ever touch a ring again or to ever wrestle a match no no plans to promote a show nothing like that all right i've grilled you enough i think it's time for us to go to a break we're going to come back and talk about wfx this episode of the total bees she show is powered by firstrow.ca canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards autographs from your favorites action figures and of course wrestling collectibles galore as a loyal Total B She Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESSHEES. Again, the code is B E E Z 
S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. Okay, Mr. Davidson. Okay. $2.25 million. Yeah, that's Big the budget. Yeah. That, that's a big budget. People have accused you in the past of misremembering things, of bees sheezing, and you made it sound so easy with $2.25 million. It, I, I, always, I used to hear the thing that, oh, if I had that, I could do it too. <laughs> if I had 2.2, and I'm just like, no, I mean, uh, you know. I'm, okay. So... so, so are you misremembering? No. Was there any pitfalls involved with having that kind of money? Because sometimes having a lot of money like that can make you perhaps a little overconfident. I feel like you're accusing me of being a liar. I'm not accusing you of anything. This is just what's been said to me. Okay. Okay. Now let me... Uh, let he's, me he's getting hot. I, I'm going to try to contain myself here. <laughs> I don't want to... I've never been hot at you, Chris. He's, ca- he's caffeinated. Oh. He's highly caffeinated. So WFX... I, I told the story two weeks ago and last week. Two weeks ago, I said, I told Jeff Dick in a meeting in November around American Thanksgiving that it's, we're going to lose $1 million in year one. We're going to lose three quarters of a million in year two and half a million in year three. And at that point, he was going to have a tough decision about how far he wanted to go because I couldn't guarantee that that would mean we'd be break even or profitable in year four. We had to turn a corner at some point, but we were going to lose for three years. And he said... I will give you that budget, but we're never going to lose that much money. Now, anybody who says that that's not true was not there, has no idea. And more importantly, if you watch the moves that I put into place coming out of that meeting, I must have thought I had a budget. Why would I go with a, like, okay, so no, hold on. People who question that say, well, Davidson was stupid enough. That if he had only if he, if he'd only thought he had a two hundred thousand dollar budget, he'd blow his wad right away. And people have no idea what we actually spent, right? right. Nobody yeah, knows not. that. And I'm going to get into that as we continue on with the WFX run. But two point two five million was what I projected over three years we would lose. But here's what I did not project. I did not project that we would get Chad Sokolovich from Michigan come to us and say, I can syndicate your TV show into as many as 50 million homes in the U.S. I never, I didn't see that. And it happened. We were on America One, which is, as Scott Mason said, it wasn't the most powerful station, but I, Scott Mason saw it in New York. Yeah. Friday nights in prime time, low power, but he saw it. In Los Angeles, we had people who saw it. In all over, those are the two big markets in the U.S. Absolutely. So let me tell you, when I projected that would be the loss, that was based on Jeff Dick wanting to produce a television product that he was going to broadcast over the internet on a channel called E-Channel One. We were never going to succeed in that situation. And that's why I said, we're going to lose this much money. If I did not think I had that budget, why then would I go to Billy Gunn and say, I'm going to hire you. You're going to work two shows. Every, every three weeks is going to be our TV schedule. And I'm going to farm out. You're going to sign a deal with us that you're going to work. You're going to be available for five dates a month. And we're going to farm out three of those dates, which CWE ended up using. I had that budget. We spent based on the projection, the performance, the performance we outlined for three years. We spent as if we had 
to $5 million. Now, people say, well, that's probably why they didn't last. Mike was stupid to believe we would have that money. But I knew what Jeff had in the bank when I when we had that talk. I knew he had more than seven figures in the bank when we had that chat. My belief was he was buying the studio, One World Studios, which at the time was Trinity TV Studios, which at the time was a very nice building. I've driven by it since, and now it looks like crap. He had the money. That's why I believed it. Right. I had worked with Jeff enough to not believe everything he told me because I, we'd started, stopped, started, stopped, started, stopped. There was a point in time where Jeff Dick was a part of a, a, a group that was supposed to export bottled water to China. I remember Canadian that. bottled water. Canadian gold bottled water was going to export to China. And, and he was supposed to make something like two pennies per bottle that they drank. He was going to be a trillionaire under those under the math that he did. Jeff was a fascinating person. A lot of what I have to, my story intertwines with Jeff Dick. I've once said that some guys get off on fast women. Some guys get off on fast cars. Some guys get off on sports. Well, Jeff Dick, if you gave him a calculator, he got off on what he could punch into that as, as ah, if we sell this and we do this and that, da, 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 he'd come up with these weird math formulas. And by the end of it, we're going to make $1.3 billion. And I'd be like, Jeff, it's never been done. Please give me the benefit of doubt that there's no way you can build this business without a loss. But let me tell you something. If you buy an expansion team into a pro sports league, NFL, NHL, any of them, by the time you build the building, by the time you get running and operational, you're in the hole for tens of millions of dollars. All elite wrestling Shad Khan put a hundred million dollars in. Do you think they were profitable the minute they started operating? No. I don't know if they're profitable I now. I, I would bet they're not. And they're four years in. So when I was saying to Jeff Dick, I'm going to give you an entity that's going to be loosely comparable to the success of Ring of Honor. We talked last week about the mid-tier. Well, okay, I did not think we could hit Impact. Impact had Kurt Angle, Impact, uh, TNA at the time. They had Jeff Hardy. They had Hulk Hogan. They had Sting. We couldn't touch that. But we could be a tier below them and in that mid-tier. Now... Here's the problem that we had. You can fact check me all you want. Uh, Okay. But what I believed was build it and then figure out how to monetize it. Give me the budget to build this for this much money and then give me the challenge to monetize it after we build it. This is why when I say to promoters, do it this way, they have the argument. Mike, you did it when you had a backer. And then my argument is, well, build a, build a plan, build a business plan, and go get a backer. Yeah. Nobody does it. But that's what happened to build WFX. I, I believed that the, we recovered for a million-dollar loss in year one. And, right. I, and I believed if, at that point, bringing, cutting that by 25% would not be impossible. Now, so what happens after we build the roster? And you can challenge me all you want. I know you're challenging based on feedback you get yeah, from absolutely. Listeners. It's not you. It's me. they hate me they don't hate you trust me so here's what happens we build the roster and we're going we're ready to launch this thing and we're going to start running shows and i've got a roster we added before the first show we added tajiri for the first show teddy hart uh kushida who's now in wwe we uh there was so so many so much talent i had access to keith walker this is a good story so we, we start going, so what was supposed to happen was the Olympics in Vancouver were going in January of 2010. Maybe it was February. I can't, I, it was February. I wanted to go the last Friday in January and run the first show of WFX in the studio. And I, I said, Jeff, I'm ready to go. And he's, he had a deal with Danny Duggan. He was funding CWE. He was the main investor to CWE. Right. And 
he so CWE loaded their anniversary show that year with like four or five names. I think Seth Black, who's now uh, Rollins. No, Seth Rollins, uh, Tyler Black, Tyler Black. <laughs> Seth Black, we're calling. Yeah, we're going to try to get around the copyright. Seth Rollins was on the show, and Demolition was advertised, but uh, Axe missed the show. Bill well, you're, Eady, you're you're right, my hero. I, I've always wanted to meet and work with Bill Eady. I later did meet him at a Danny show. And Marty Janetti was advertised. And I can't, I think they had one other name. Austin Aries might've been on that show. So five names. And I go to Jeff and I'm like, hold it. You told me when we started this, that WFX was going to have the resources to do our thing. And CWE was going to be run with lesser resources. Not because if you're trying to build a TV entity with one, don't build up the, the, the other one to the same degree, right? And he's like, oh, Danny just told me it's an anniversary super show, Bubba. I'm, so I'm not launching the same weekend as he brings that package to town. It would be crazy. I'm going to take away from his market. He's going to take away from mine. It doesn't make sense. I wish he'd had the same mindset right. of how we had to coexist. But he didn't. I'm not going to be hard on him about that. He was taking care of his business. One thing you can say about Danny Duggan is he will always take care of his business. Yes, he will. Yes. So we were going to run that show right before the Olympics, the Friday before, and come back right after, a week after the, f- the closing ceremonies. It was three weeks apart. So I'm going to give you advice. If you're going to start a wrestling company... And I am. Yes. If, if you listen to the rumors... Yeah, B, I, she's I'm, wrestling I'm, is going to start. Exactly. Here's when you want to start. You want to announce in early December your first date in January. So you get all that Christmas rush of people wanting to see whatever the package you're offering, and they buy the tickets as stocking stuffers. So you launch, you announce the launch around December 5th, something like that. So they got two weeks to get the tickets to put in stocking stuffers. Then you want to run in January. You want to get a date. If you can do it, if you, if you have the balls to go every three weeks, go ahead. If you have, otherwise you go every four weeks, but you get in three dates between January and April to build your brand. Why? Because that's WrestleMania. That is like the playoffs are for the NFL or major league baseball or NHL is January from Royal Rumble until WrestleMania is the playoff period for pro wrestling. People don't realize this. It's when people are most engaged, most interested, and want to, they can't get enough of wrestling. So if you can get a date in January, February, March, and April, you can get four dates in if you can go every three weeks. So I wanted to get the dates in in January and February. So that way, when we when we go into the April, you're, the houses might come down because you're getting into summer and you could you could be in for a, a tougher battle, right? Everyone and any promoter knows in the summer months, business goes down. But Danny cock blocked us there yep. by getting his date. And, and I don't know that he did it intentionally. I'm not going to accuse him of that, but there was times where Danny did things to keep, not to be the little brother. He was not going to accept that role, even though he was told by Jeff, I'm funding this. You're going to be the little brother. Anyway. So that was one of the challenges. We go into the first show in March instead of January. And we only have a short window before WrestleMania. It you hurt ha- us. You haven't bu- yeah. You haven't built your brand up. Yeah. We could have been building the brand for four, four, for probably four shows. It hurt us. Dealing with Jeff Dick, as great as he was for giving us the budget, he also could be a challenge. Yeah. Because he would never, he was so dismissive when I'd come to him and say, here are some of the hurdles I'm going to have. Ah, I'm not worried about that. Ah, <laughs> all day long. We won't have a problem with that. Ah, we're not going to lose money. So here's the other thing people say. Did you lose, you, you, you had to have lost money. Well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I, we lost a lot of money. It's a startup. I was projecting a million dollar loss. So get this. I'm going to tell you financials of the show. So listen closely, everybody. 
Did WFX lose money? Every single show we did. Our budget to run to create three episodes of TV was 32,000 Canadian. That included lights. That included sound. That included the, the TV production team, Ken Playtink and Cliff Simpson. Unbelievable how good they were. Look at it on YouTube right yep. now and tell me that stuff wasn't good. That included talent. That included flights. That included hotels. That included uh, gasoline for guys that drove in from Calgary and Minneapolis. That included uh, advertising. I had a healthy advertising budget. We had Power 97 broadcasting live from our studio. On the afternoon of the show, we had Hot 103 at the time, which is now Virgin 103, broadcasting live from our parking lot. We had double remotes going on at the same time. We had Winnipeg Sun advertising. We had a machine. Nobody would have the balls to do this, but Jeff Dick had the balls. So 32,000 is what, remember that number. Tell me I'm stupid for getting it in for that. Now, guess how much money we were bringing in? Now you think about it. We would draw 400, 300, 600, right? It, it varied. There was one show where it was like 208 and there was another one where it was 500 and some. So they would pay we kept the ticket price low because we had to go every three weeks. That was our goal. You're doing the math. I can see it. I am. So I remember Jeff, I would say to Jeff after the show, how, how did we do? And he's like, oh, we did about $7,000 in revenue. And I'd be like, okay, 7,000, that's kind of weak. He's like, no, that's not bad. Cause if you think about it, take 7,000 from 25,000 or 30, 32,000 brings you down to 25. Right now. We are doing it every three weeks. So to produce 52 episodes of television, is that not 13 times three? Yes. Yes. Okay. So now do 13 times 25,000. Tell me how much we lost. You guess what? It's, it's not even $400,000. Wow. I have a million dollars to work with. I'm now producing better. Now think of this. Every episode of TV now is I mean, cost- I, can't, I can't believe I said wow to a, a financial <laughs> loss, but still. No, I mean, but that's I, impressive. I, it was budgeted. Yep. Now. Here's the thing you need to understand. An episode of television delivered to the network for less than $9,000? Can you do that? Yellowstone probably is $900,000 an episode. For sure. Yeah. Like this is So when people say, God, Davidson, what a fool. Think of the economics of what we were doing. We were producing an episode of TV for $9,000. And if they, if they want to talk money, I'm not going to talk directly about payoffs, but I'll give you an example of a payoff to fly in a talent with WWE experience with us money was the dollar was at par his flight and his payoff came in at about 700 and maybe $800 Canadian. Yeah. So I had guys in, in BC saying, I'd love to come in for you, but you got to fly me in. And that flight was 500 Canadian. So I'd say, let's talk math here. Ex wrestler with WWE experience has cost me 800 Canadian. You're going to cost me 800 Canadian. How can I justify this? Yeah. Right. And the guy that I'm talking about with WWE experience, I don't want to say who it is, but that's, that was the math. And that was coming down with just about everybody. There was a couple of flights that would get a little expensive, but we kept the price down because I didn't say to you, come wrestle for me once and we're going to, and, and, but I want you to give me a deal. I said, we're going to build a relationship. I'm going to guarantee you this much money, but I'm going to guarantee you this many shows. You're going to be a regular in my TV show. And that's why it worked. $9,000 per episode. Now, if you say, if you're sitting there going, well, they were never going to make back $2.25 million. Let me get into that. I don't have the time today, do I? <laughs> you can if you want. Let's go there. Let's go there. So here's the thing. Understand monthly, we were going to be in for about 25, every three weeks, $25,000. 
$9,000 an episode. I start talking to sponsors. Now I'm not an ad agency, but I'd talk to agencies that might want to take our inventory and turn it into money. They didn't think they could do, they didn't think, oh, we might be able to get you $2,500, $5,000 for this inventory. And Jeff Dick was like, we might have to look at that. But in the meantime, I had an odd encounter. We had somebody bring a, a rep for Rockstar Energy Drinks. This girl was like, this is an amazing building. And she said, you have a TV show. And I, yeah, we pull it up on a screen. We show it to her. This is just a loose conversation. Yeah. Fluke. She ends up going to her car. She has these sample packs of rock, Rockstar. And she said, I'm going to send you some vodka Rockstar too. Well, that's music to my ears. Yeah, no doubt. So she sends me a bunch of samples. And she said, we might want to get into the building. She said, the owner of Rockstar Energy Drinks, says, he does about $10,000 a month, the king of the cage. Dan Severin was in the, the right. it was like a UFC alternative, low budget. And they were all over the cage. She said, but if we ever did that, we would want naming rights in some way. Maybe Rockstar Energy Studios. Yeah. Right? We were calling it One World Studios because we we're trying to co-brand Jeff's umbrella company of One World United. So I said, well, that would be like, we're talking $10,000 a month and you'd have to undertake the cost to rewrap the entire room to look like Rockstar Energy and it'd have to look good on TV. I said, logistically, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Making it sound like 10,000 is reasonable because I'm trying to make it sound hard. Meanwhile, I'm like in the corner just having a, having a panic attack that I might close a $120,000 sponsorship. But they were ready and willing and they, they wanted numbers about, okay, where are you broadcast? Where can we, where can we expect a deliverable? is what they wanted. Yeah. I said, it would be impossible for me to give you the breakdowns of demographics, but I can tell you, we have the, we have the, the distribution, which is a big question, a big word when you get to sponsorships. The other one was I had Expedia and Travelocity. I would book all the tickets for one of them at the time. I since go somewhere else when I book flights. But so I said to Expedia, listen, I'm spending this much every three, three weeks with you. Oh yeah, you're a valued customer. They get all excited. I said, I need some sponsorship money. They said, well, we can give you a discount. I said, no, I don't want a discount. Yeah. I want money back in. I got money out. I budgeted the money out. I want money in. So I said, no discount. And so I, it would look good on paper for me to lose less money, but I want revenue coming in. That looks even better. So I was playing them off. It didn't come, like it, the problem is that the talk doesn't happen overnight. You, it takes time to present. It takes time to keep pushing. But we were going to have the replay of the week was going to be powered by Expedia or Travelocity. And they, we wanted five to $10,000 a month for that. They were scoffing at that number because what we spent compared to, they wanted deliverables, which we had to show them what they were getting for that. How many eyeballs cost yes. per million. So we were having some trouble with that, but we were prepared to basically uh, not prostitute ourselves, but give them everything website penetration, our local advertising, our online advertising. We were going to make them a big part of the puzzle. If I close those two deals, in, and that started in May and June of 2010, one, WFX had a fighting chance to stay alive. $20,000 of revenue a month against 25000 every three weeks. All of a sudden, our cost per episode would go down to something like $3,000. Yeah. On top of our loss per show, there was salaries. He paid me. He paid a graphic design team, two or three. He had... Uh, he had a production assistant that worked with me. He had a, a, a promotional person who worked with me. Plus, there's he he didn't own the studio. He's he was in the process of buying the studio, so there was going to be costs there that had to be reallocated to to One World United. The way he was doing it, though, why he said he was never going to lose the money on paper was because he was going to write it as a sponsorship from One World United uh -huh. to WFX. Now, all of a sudden, on paper, WFX is break even. 
One World United is going to take the loss. He thought that would be a billion-dollar company. And what was WFX going to do for One World United was we were going to talk about One World United on everything. They were on the sides of our belt. They were One World Studios. It was a branding play. I've rambled, but that's the, and that, that's not no, even okay. all of the economics, but that's when, when you've heard this narrative for years, <laughs> Davidson had no hope. I was closer than you think much, much, much closer than you think. We're going to, we're going to get deeper into the yeah, economics Yeah, you're going to fact check me next week. You pissed me off and then I talk about money. I did, but you, you mentioned something, this is far earlier in the conversation, but it was a name that kind of perked my ears up. Teddy Hart. Yeah. How was he to work with? Because he has a reputation as well of being difficult to work with. I, I But I've heard both sides. I've heard he's an absolute lamb to work with, and I've heard he's an absolute nightmare to work Ooh. with. So, Teddy Hart, where do you fall on that? How long can I go? You can go as long as you want, my friend. Okay, Teddy Hart is great. Very talented guy. There you go. You went 30 seconds. No, <laughs> he caused me an ulcer. So when I called him the first time, he verbally put me over, ver- gave me a verbal please on B-she's. On B-she's. But he... Uh, he said, you know, I've always wanted to work for Mike Davidson. I've heard all good things about you. You're this, you're that. And I was like, I doubt he's even really heard of me, right? Like, I'm not sure. But then the problem is there's a Mike Davidson in Calgary that might be, maybe right. he's mistaken, right? Who knows? So he gave me a put over. And so we did the deal. And he said, negotiating the money, he's like, whatever I, I offered him low. And he said, no, you have to understand. If you put me on a DVD, ask RF video, ask Rob Feinstein. I sell this many videos. And and Liam wanted to build a relationship and use him as a regular. And he was willing to drive in from Calgary. But the night before, this is always my favorite. The day before I get a call, maybe two days before. If you got to send me this much money on Western Union or I'm not coming. Okay. Uh, our deal is dead. I'm going to yeah. send you the money. I'm going to trust you show up. I went to Jeff Dick and I said, he might not show up. Jeff said, send him the money. And I said, why? And he said, because... It'll either be, I think it was an advance of maybe $200, $300. Probably might've been used for gas. Who knows? Probably, yeah. But he said, if he doesn't show up, it's a $300 lesson. And if he does show up, it's an investment. He said, send him the money. I'll give it to you right now. He said, let's trust him. And he showed up, but I had no idea. And then he showed up at the venue. Like it was, it was just different, but uh, he was good. He was like, I, I would never say bad things about him at all. Um, he's obviously had his battles. He's got his reputation, but if you're running an event and you know, he's going to show up, he's definitely worth the price. Fans will like what they paid to see him. hundred percent, hundred percent in the ring. He's absolute magic. Yep. All right, Mike, we're going to go to the break. We're going to come back with some fan questions. Cause I've got a few good ones in the chamber. Okay. The total B she's show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the total B she's show on Twitter at total B she's on Instagram at total B she's or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. This is Wayne Stanton from Episode 6 of the Total Bees She's Show. If you're not listening to this podcast, I think you're a coward. All right, Mike, we're back with fan questions this week, and these ones are coming in, uh, one through social media and one through the inbox. Through the inbox first, Conrad asks, <laughs> Mike, if you were running an indie promotion, how would you build ancillary revenue for an indie promotion? That's Not- a great question. Yeah, because that's, t- that's a tough thing to do. It's, it's one thing to run a show. It's one thing to book talent. It's another thing to monetize. Okay, so now, first and foremost, you have to, dis- you have to define ancillary for our listeners who might not know that word. 
it's ancillary is kind of like spin off revenues. Spin off yeah. revenues, extra revenues, rub okay. revenues. I'm going to go a little long on this one. Uh, first and foremost, your number one revenue as a wrestling promoter is going to be your ticket sales. You're going to get about two, three thousand dollars on a good night in ticket sales. Then, if you can get some sponsorship, you might get five hundred to seven hundred and fifty dollars in sponsorship. So you're at you could be at four thousand dollars. I'm talking best case scenario. One of the things that I and I preached about this in an earlier episode. The merchandise sales need to be handled by the promoter. Wrestlers need to get their hands off of that revenue and do a partnership with the promoter. And the promoter's got to hire hawkers who sit there, professional people or people that are, who holler people into the table, get this, get this, get your autograph with this guy after the, after the match. And that's got to be the way merchandise is done. Cause otherwise it's low budget and hokey. If I go to a wrestler, if imagine I go to WrestleMania now that's the extreme. And I saw Roman Reigns working the merch table. I would think what in the hell am I seeing here? Not to mention the lineup would be huge. Independent right. shows because they the wrestlers want to go from X amount they agree with the promoter on payoff, turn that into as much more money as they can. Stop that thinking. It is a negative. Promoters handle the merch table. Promoters handle the tickets. But guess what? Promoters are the only ones who take the financial risk. So they should have the first right to the revenue. But there should be a partnership on if you sell a poster of Rob Stardom. Rob Stardom, you're getting this. But the wrestler knows if he's not out there to personally pressure people to buy it, it won't sell. I see things like wrestlers selling candy apples and cupcakes. This is ridiculous. Think about the prestige of the wrestling show. Ancillary revenues. First and foremost, I would sell tickets. I would try to sell sponsorships. I would try to sell merchandise. I would look at um, if you can get online value whether it be streaming your shows for a small fee, whether it's you've managed to get something goes viral and you can get 60,000 people to follow your YouTube, not realistic, but develop that strategy as best you can. Every, a piece of the concession if you're if you're pay, if you can if, get if, it if you're paying for the venue. Yeah, if you're get it, if you can get it, that's unrealistic, right? That's yeah. always a throw in. Realize at the end of the day, $4,000 is a healthy amount of revenue. Danny Duggan can bring talent in, fly them in, and pay their performance fee on $4,000 and still profit. Definitely. So it can be done. The promoter needs to handle the revenues, and the promoter needs to be honest and fair to talent on splits of merchandise. I think Danny actually goes as far as splits of profits on certain shows. You're No, no guarantee on what you're going to get paid. If the house is up, your pay is up. If house is down, you're, it's going to be lean. And you know that going in, you're going to get eight dates or whatever it is. Danny does it in an interesting way. It's old school. But you got to get these guys to stop working their own merch stands. It's, it looks terrible. I, like, and I, I say this, and Jerry Lawler, the one time I brought him in, worked his own merch. Yeah. So they know, how, and they, cause they know how to sell it. But it's, if you're going to do that, do not put the name out there before the show. Because put them out there after as they're leaving. But they all want to. They all want to work as many of the fans as they can. I've made that mistake countless times. I had Sunny up there selling her merch before the show. Scott Steiner, Lex Luger. They wanted to get as much dollars as they could. I get it. But promoters need the first right. They got to get their hands on as much money. If I had time to think about that, like if I'd seen that question from Conrad, I would have had more ancillary revenues. But that's that's 
the start. Okay, good enough. We can, we could always revisit that, but it brought up a question for me that I'm going to weave in between these fan questions. Let's see how am I going to word this? Be direct. I can handle it. Have we has the wrestling business gone too far away from protecting the business? Yes. Yes. And how can you scale because what what made me think of that was you talking about guys working the merch table. It's not protecting the business. It's something and I'm not saying like I'm an old hand or anything like that, but I was not one of the guys that would go and sit in the crowd after I wrestled. I I didn't believe in it and I I would never work a merch I never had merch, but I would never work a merch table no, because I felt I felt that. I felt like it took the mystique off. Last week I said it best. Wrestling works when you make them want to believe it. Hot heels who get heat, beating the hell out of baby faces that get sympathy is a formula that still could work. It, the wrestling business, the problem is social media. Guys take pictures with each other and they compliment each other and there's no legitimate rivalry. There can be a rivalry and it still be a work. I can... Hey, you want to know rivalry in, in independent wrestling? The battle between promoters for who's doing a better job yeah. is a legitimate rivalry. How come there's not legitimate rivalry between Adam Knight and Mentolo on who the better wrestler is and who can draw more? How come? Right? There but should be. You can you can be professional and still want to be better than the guy next to you. When I was in when I was a broadcaster, I'd look at the guys next to me and say, I want to be as good or better than that guy. And I would try to be as good or better than that guy. You don't think that I, you know, I compliment everybody who has a wrestling podcast, but you don't think that I want to be better than them. You don't think I want to go places where they either can't go or don't want to go. So you rivalry is the start. Yeah. It's called legitimate, a friendly rivalry. It's not necessarily friendly either. Legitimate, a legitimate competitive spirit will lead to more fans because guys ass off. That's a cornet word. I hate it, but guys fool around. They don't take it serious. I said this when I compared wrestling to CFL football, when I'm around the bombers, they are focused laser sharp on game day. Even the, the week of they practice for two hours. Wrestlers don't do it. They, they don't take it seriously. They don't take themselves seriously. And it hurts their product. If you are a wrestler, let's say you're Dan Spasma. Dan Spasma's got to be Dan Spasma's best salesman. You got to take it serious. And they don't. And they, it hurts themselves. So what I mean is, to get back to your question is wrestlers have to start treating this business seriously. Not themselves seriously. Wrestlers who take themselves too seriously get ribbed, but take the business seriously and selling themselves seriously. You can do that and not be an idiot. Okay, moving on to the next question. This one comes from Carly. Um, Carly asks... We have a girl listener? Apparently so. I'm I'm surprised too. I know Lori listens too. And, and she spells it K-A-R-L-Y, which is a different spelling of Carly than I'm used I'm to. I'm going to look so. her up on Facebook. Yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> There's not that many Carlys with a K. Danger Bay. Okay, <laughs> Carly asks, can a good ringer, ring announcer make or break a show? Yes. And I, I, yeah, I would say yes as well. How about I say that into my mic? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you said it to the table. Uh, I said it when we had Wayne Stanton in studio. Best ring announcer Winnipeg ever saw. A bad ring announcer, like the guy on AEW, I find to be very annoying. Gary Michael Capetta is my, my second favorite ring announcer of all time behind Howard Finkel. I think it's Justin Roberts on AEW, yeah. isn't it? Gary Michael Capetta. Uh, the guys used to imitate him. Uh, I don't remember. From Bucksnort. I can't do the yeah. imitation. From Bucksnort, Tennessee. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, but a great ring announcer. So realize the first person you hear from when you go to a show is the ring announcer. So you want the ring to wow people. You want the smell of popcorn in the air. You want the ring announcer. They want 
he's a part of the show, a huge part of the show. You want the referee who walks to the ring first in his ref gear to look, okay, because there's the anticipation for the start of the show, right? Yeah. The ring announcer has to have personality and he has to have polish. And he has to dress the part. I see ring announcers nowadays and they're wearing like jeans and, and, uh, and I look at it and I'm like, that's the first image of the presentation. How can you mess this up, promoters? Yeah, Wayne always wore that red suit. Red suit. Looked fantastic. Or he'd wear like this Bermuda shirt. Yeah. The button-up Bermuda shirt. Right. Wayne was polished like you would. And sometimes Wayne would freelance and it was entertaining. There's a video of him. Bushwhacker Luke's music hits and you, if you, you, he's not ISOed by the camera because they go to the curtain. But as they come back, Stanton is doing the Bushwhacker walk. <laughs> and I die laughing at this. I'm, I was going to, I should ask Wayne about that. What motivated you to try to steal Bushwhacker Luke's heat like that? But it was great. Like a ring, Wayne, like, Wayne would have these moments where he'd freelance. Like he used to go and sing a, he used to sing a song before the show. It would be like five more minutes, five more. No, let me get it right. Five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes till we start the show. Five more minutes, five more minutes. It's wrestling down. We got to get him into studio yes. to do this. And I know he will. He's a great friend of the show. He was the best ring announcer locally. Good ring announcers can make the show. Thank you, Carly. That's the answer. It's a very important position that often gets overlooked by promoters who don't take pride in their product. Now, I'm just one more question. Have you been part of a show where the ring announcers tanked it? Because... Ooh. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that I have, but I've definitely heard of that happening where the ring announcer is just so bad they don't, and they don't have their, their crap together, Yeah, for lack of a better term. They haven't gone to the guys and haven't gotten their Careful details. Careful where you go, pal. You know, so... I used to ring announce in a bar for Bobby J. Right. And you, and the, the, am I talking about you? TRCW. Well, I showed up and I was wearing just normal clothes and the fans used to buy me a drink and I'd read a card. And as the night went on, I drank a lot of drinks. So by the end of the show, I was pissed drunk. Like, oh, so you're the bad announcer I'm talking about. Yeah, I was never, perf- but it was a bar show and I considered myself to be more of a host. So I, every rule I tell people not to break, I learned it from breaking the rule. That's how you so, learn. And it's not hypocritical. I'm trying to help you. Um, but I've seen bad ring announcers, of course. Yeah, it sucks. But uh, I've also hired bad ring announcers, had a vision that it would work out. It's not like good ring announcers grow on trees. Let yeah. me be honest, right? So when you find a good one, you you should be ecstatic. Like uh, an underrated ring announcer, Steve Stryker, always wore a blazer, could could do it. Always putting over Steve Stryker. I'll tell you why I put over Steve Stryker. There isn't a job in wrestling he couldn't do. Yeah. Other than it got to a point where he had been out of the ring too long, he'd had too much rust. But he could book, he could agent, he could produce, he could he could ring announce, he 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 could promote. Like there was no. Buddy's business. He was not afraid to open up doors to venues. This guy knew his his she's his she's, and he was amazing. So yeah, no, Steve Stryker never gets enough credit. If there was a local wrestling hall of fame, his contribution was a small window, but he belongs in it. I think we need to get him on the show. Oh, he'd come on. I think we yeah. gotta get Steve Stryker on the show. Is there we, one more? We've got one more question, okay. and this one is about drug testing in wrestling. It says, "Hey, Mike, love the show." Why isn't there drug testing in wrestling at the local level? Who said that? So I guess it's at the independent level. This is from James. Okay, James. I don't know how much it costs to do drug testing, but I imagine it's pretty expensive. Like I would bet it's $150, $200, $300 a guy. Definitely. Who's going to absorb that cost? I don't think think like any of those mid-level companies could afford it. So indies could definitely not. No. Um, uh, I'm going to come on. I hope I don't get canceled for this. If I had a wrestler 
who was investing money in gear, like wrestling gear, boots. And, and, and he went and he's invested money in a gym membership. He invested money in tanning. And he went the extra mile and he invested the money in the chemicals he took to look a million dollars. PEDs. I don't ask questions. I appreciate his effort, especially on the local level where he's never going to see a return financially on investment. But he's going to look like a million dollars. He might get land a few more female fans. So I, I hope nobody ever got... See, I don't know that there's... I'm going to challenge the argument that steroids screw you up. I th- I'm sure they do, but I don't know, like... If, if steroids killed you, Hulk Hogan should have died. But then the Ultimate Warrior died young. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. Randy Savage died young. Roddy Piper died young. I mean, I could get into that argument all day long because I've watched several documentaries on it as well. Not a, not an expert, obviously. Yeah. But, I mean, based on what I ascertain, basically, if you abuse them, they will abuse you. If you use them properly, there is a way to properly use them. You're... You might, you probably will be okay. So yeah. it's, it's, it comes down to, to the individual, perhaps past medical history yeah. and whether or not they are taking seven times the recommended yeah. dosage. I don't know enough about it. Never wanted to know more than I had to. I wasn't mandated to test wrestlers. It's their private life. Um, if I, if it had become mandated, then it would have been uh, economically impossible to run shows. I'm, and I'm not taking up for them either, but I mean, let's let's be honest. They're used in hospitals as medicine. Uh, so how can they be medicine in one? Are you telling me D-ball is used? In one sense, no, but a, a steroid like um, uh, it's ox, uh, Anavar. Uh, ox that's and, a fat burn. Uh, uh, that's supposed a, to it's, it's a steroid reduce your fat. Yeah, I know it's uh, a steroid. Oxandrolone. I, I'm... I, <laughs> Mike uh, Davidson might have been a steroid abuser yeah. at one point. Oxandrolone, for example, is used in hospitals for children. For and what, and what, what do bodybuilders use that for? They they use it for the well for they use it for bodybuilding because you get you get uh, natural gains and it doesn't uh, esthetize. I believe is the word. So one of the problems was that guys got into human growth hormone too. Yes, I don't know what the side effects were. I never I never worried about it. It was none of my business as far as I looked. All right, so we but the greatest compliment I ever got. Mark Merrick once, we were fighting on the internet and going back and forth, and he's like, you're just a steroid head, like, geez, wheeze. And I was like, that's the greatest compliment I ever had, because I never used it. Was that when you were in the best shape of your life? No, probably not. Really? And when I was in the best shape of my life, you would not mistake me as a steroid user either. Like, my best shape of my life was not, like, I, I, I've i never been a body guy. I never would be a body guy. Um, but... Eesh. Uh, steroids, I let people have their own judgment on it. That's, that's my say on it. That, and that, that's completely fair. It's their p- people's own personal lives and they can do what they want. Yeah. We got a special birthday party coming up in a couple oh, weeks. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't listen to the podcast. I know. So I can say Tony Candelo. He turns, might not know what a podcast is. Turns 80 in a couple of weeks. So we're going to get him on here. I'm going to bake some cupcakes and should we give him like a cannabis infused brownie maybe? I would be in for that. Will we let him smoke in the studio? Definitely not. Okay. And with that, Glenn Goza. Yeah. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the rumper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. 
the Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gordy. But what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Eriks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?